Welcome to this week's Bread the Blue mini podcast with me, Darren Griffiths, and I'm delighted to be joined by our current under-18s coach, Paul Tate. Paul, we're going to speak shortly about your time as a young Everton player, but it's a different world now, is it? It's a different sport, isn't it, for the under-18s under your control than it was in your day? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things changed, Darren. Obviously, the game's moved on in terms of uh, where we're at and the way that the players learn and and the environment that they're in now compared to the, the environments that we were in. Um, I'd still like to think that some of the things remain. Um, a lot of the positive um, things that we received when we were in, in the environment at Everton when I was a young player. Um, so, you know, we've tried to retain them, I think, as a club and as a coaching staff. Um, you know, the things that, that were synonymous with us being young players, you know, the hard work, uh, hard graft, you know, Resilience, um, being prepared to roll your sleeves up, all the things that um, you were you were taught if you were going to be an Everton player, then you know they were uh, non-negotiables really. Did you sweep the terraces and paint the goalposts and blow the footballs up? Yes, yes, done everything <laughs> like that, Darren. Um, I always remember the just before you were allowed to go for pre-season for your break, you had to absolutely scrub the place clean, whether that be Goodison um, and Belfield. So that was um, again. Always a real positive in my eyes when I look back. It's, mm. You know, it's only when later on in, in life, don't you? You look back and you reflect on it. What it what it gave you, and it just it was uh, so good for for your character building, for um, respect. Yeah. You know, some of the things that you learned then when when you when you were doing your jobs. Um, I was on Kevin Ratcliffe's boots when I first arrived. Obviously, the club captain. Did he look after you? He did, he was great, but he terrified me a little bit like to start with. Um, Rats, he, he was he was very demanding as uh, being the club captain, but straight away, like, you know, I, I had massive respect for him and, and he gave the young players respect as well. He, you know, he, he treated us the same and, uh, and you know, a cross paths later on in life with him mm-hmm. when he was manager of Shrewsbury and I played against his teams and stuff like that. So, um, you know, managed to, to keep in touch with him quite a bit. Did he give you a few quid Christmas and the end of the season and stuff? He did, ah, he did. Um, to be fair, all the players whose boots are cleaned always always sort of looked after them. I must have uh, I must have cleaned them all right, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Born in the North East, as we can tell, how did you end up at Everton? I played for um, Walls End Boys Club, Darren. The famous Walls yeah, End Boys Club. Yeah, well-known boys club who, who've produced a lot of players over the years and we actually, I remember we, we came down on the bus and played at Belfield. So it was probably down to Ray Hall at the time, who, who mm. was running the academy, obviously. He was looking further afield for players at that time, as well as just in the Liverpool area. Um, and we came down and played them at like under 13, under 14 level. And Everton offered me a, a contract there and then. Um, I was actually at Newcastle at the time. So it would probably be seen as poaching nowadays, but mm. I hadn't signed... Um, any scholarship forms or um, associated schoolboy forms in Newcastle at the time, so it was all above board. Uh, and I just came down, I just something clicked. I just, I just really enjoyed it when I came down on trial. And did your family come with you? Not at the time. No, we used to you used to come down in the school holidays. So you, you basically get put on the train at that end mm. at fourteen, fifteen, mm. and you'd get the train down. The, the two or three Geordie lads would travel with you. Um, and it's, you'd, big, it's a big move, that isn't it, for a young boy. It is when you look at you look now. We would never dream of doing that with our young players, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think they're being 
at service stations with our 16, 17, 18 year olds and I, I won't leave them until, the bus won't leave until their parents arrive and they get in the cars and they, and they get off. We just, we just wouldn't do it nowadays. <laughs> But then we were getting packed away on the train at 14, like, you know. I don't know what I'd said about my parents, like, but I'll be just glad to get rid of us for a bit, Darren. Who coached you? Um, the first guy who was in charge was Graham Smith. Yeah. Um, great, great lad, Smudge. He, he was in charge. Um, and then as I came down um, later on, when I was starting my scholarship, just before my scholarship, was um, Dave Fogg. Oh, yeah. Dave Fogg, um, Jimmy Gabriel was the reserve team manager. Great football people. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I, you know, we talk about like um, the game in terms of being ahead of it, being ahead of the game now. But I remember Jimmy Gabriel doing individual practice that long ago, uh, mm. Darren. You know, he'd, mm. he'd forever take me out and have me heading balls and you know little finishing practices where it was just him and I on, on my own. Um, it seems like it's a big part of football now, this individual um, focus on players as if it's only just started happening, but it hasn't. It's actually been mm. going on a long time. Um, and, and Jimmy was really good for that. In terms of Dave Fogg, what he probably taught me the most was um, the attitude and, and the fight and the the application that you needed to be a, be a footballer. Mm. Um, I, I, when I came down, I thought it was just all about having the ball and you know doing tricks and skills and and, and uh, Foggy quickly taught me that the other side of the game, you know, where you had to roll your sleeves up, mm. uh, you had to dig in, you had to fight, um, you had to earn the right to play if, if you were going to be a professional footballer. So you took the traditional route, B team, A team, reserves. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Good leagues, the Lancashire League. Excellent. Um, the B team obviously was for first year scholars. Um, that was more like an under 17 league. And, and that was perfect for that time because... Yeah. You were obviously fresh out of schoolboy football and it was your first taste of um, full-time football. And it was just perfect because it let you flourish. It wasn't too demanding, so you weren't playing two years up. You were playing against boys who were in age group and it was really competitive. Um, you're obviously playing all the big teams uh, from around the northwest, and then you had your likes of your Marine in there, mm. which would be a different challenge and you'd come up against different uh, types of challenges. So it was a really good league. And then the A team was mainly for the second year scholars, but I remember playing in an A team game with something like seven international players in it uh, from the first team who'd come yeah. back down to play for one reason or the other. Yeah, yeah. And there was like a smuttering of second year scholars, and then the rest was just international players. That was an A, that was an A team game. Um, so again, they were competitive games. And then the reserve team games, they, they were just uh, unreal, some, some of the. Uh, memories I've got of playing in them games. Mm. I remember playing in, uh, show me age now, like, but I remember playing in a comeback game with John Barnes at uh, Anfield. And it was like 20,000 there. Yeah. Because it, it was John Barnes' comeback. And I was like, wow, that was like my first taste of playing in front yeah. of a big crowd, you know. And was, uh, I think it's a real shame that things like that don't happen anymore because there's a different culture in the game. And, and I think as well, part of it is down to the fact that abroad, they haven't got the same culture for reserve games as we have. And you very, very rarely see players now coming back from suspension, coming back from injuries, playing for the reserves. The under 23s, is it now? And I think that's a shame because the young kids can learn so much from playing alongside senior pros, as you probably did. Absolutely. You learn so much from playing alongside them and you probably learn more from playing against them. Um, yeah. So, you know, you'd always be... The amount of experienced centre-backs I played against uh, in the Reserve League and in the A-Team League, 
you know, stood you in good stead. But yeah, the the players who would drop down and you know, at that time, um, Everton was full of players who had been so successful. Mm. Um, so they were winners as well. Yeah. And they still, and although they were getting towards the back end of their career, Darren, you, you're still seeing that um, application and that attitude and that desire to win games and win training sessions, win whatever they were playing at. You know, even at A team level. Yeah. I mean, it was if they come down, they expected to win. Mm. So they sort of dragged you along with them, and it was uh, that, that was when probably a lot of players in, in who were my age started to realise the. Um, the importance of winning games as well. Mm-hmm. It was really important. I remember your name from when you played for Everton Reserves. Were you ever close to the first team? Was there ever a whisper? Was there ever, did you ever get pulled to one side and say, listen, you, you, you've got a sniff here? Yeah, there was a time. Um, I, I got in the squad when Howard was still here. Um, I got on really well with Howard, somebody who I, you know, I loved like as a, as a fella. and He's he he seen something in me. Uh, might have helped us both being from Gateshead, both being mm. Gateshead lads, that, and that might give me a lift up. But he, he was he was really great with us, and I, I got in the squad a couple of times, but um, never got a, never got close to to playing. And then when Mike Walker come in, there was a rumour that I was going to play then because I was doing really well in reserves, scoring, mm. um, and he'd just come from um, Norwich, hadn't he? Where he he played with like a couple of big strikers and. So there was there was word getting round that I, I might have played, but um, it never happened unfortunately. And the closest I got was was in and around the squad. Did Mike Walker release you? He did, he did. Um, I remember him getting me in, and it was it was one of them where you didn't know which way it was going to go. Mm. It was um, well, I might just sneak another contract, or because like I say, I'd scored a few goals in reserves, and I was still only eighteen. Um, but he said that he was going to get a lot of money to buy strikers, and I wouldn't be anywhere in his plans. Um, so there just wasn't the development pathway then, no, um, which no. which there is now. You, you know, I I never filled out. Well, I haven't filled out yet, but I <laughs> I, I never um, I never really got a body down until I was twenty three, twenty four. Mm. Um, and obviously, football is, is a physical game. So and if you're playing as a number nine, um, you, you know you, you need to look after yourself. So I. I there's no way in the world we would release a boy now at 18 because he's not strong enough. Yeah. It just just wouldn't happen. No. Games moved on and we, we know where players are at in terms of the maturation and, and what have you. So, you know, uh, that was a decision that was made. Was there a support mechanism at the time, Paul, or was it just a case of get your boots and go home? Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a great deal of support, I have to say. Um, your name just got circulated around other clubs, and then you just waited for that other clubs to ring you up. And did you feel like did you feel like giving up? Did any part of you was? I mean, it must have been a huge blow. Was there any part of you that thought, I can't say that again. I'll go and try something else. No, it, I, I didn't. It, I hadn't lost my belief. I think because, I, like I said, I'd had a pretty successful season mm. as a first year professional, and played a lot of reserve games, scored goals, and I felt I was starting to develop as well. Um, so I still had loads of self-belief so I, I was, it was just like right where, where can I play next um, and I got a, I got a phone call from Preston John Beck who was at Preston and I went there for a week's training um, they were actually preparing for a playoff final that they were in and David Moyes was his centre back at the time right. and I, went, I remember going and playing in a practice game um, for like the first half and I had a blinder I was on fire on this I remember the team talk at half time, so it was us and them all together. And John Beck brought us in, and he basically t- 
tore the back out of David Moyes and the other centre back. I don't know his name because <laughs> they basically let me do what I wanted. Mm. So that was it. When it was, uh, you know, ragged to a bull time, they just uh, kicked me to bits after that. Like in the second, second half, half was a bit tougher. Tougher, yeah. They went through me. That was like um, welcome to yeah. La League football. Mm. You know, that's what it was like because I think we were in League Two, that's the third third division. Then Preston. Um, but I didn't sign there, I went and signed for Wigan. I signed for Kenny Swain um, at Wigan, he All rang right. me up and as it happened, he, he ended up becoming a developer for England. He went and you know, yeah, yeah. worked with the England youth teams for many years. He didn't last very long at Wigan. Um, but he, he gave me my first chance and I made my league debut at Wigan when I was uh, 19. How tough was it when you when you went into non-league football with with Runcorn and Northwich Victoria? Because as by your own admission, you weren't, you weren't the biggest centre forward. and. Yeah. That's a tough playground for young strikers, isn't it? Because there are some tough, <laughs> tough yeah. centre halves at that level. It, it, that that's a sink or swim situation for a young centre forward, isn't it? Yeah, it was. So I, I was two years at Wigan, and then I got another free transfer. So if you were going to give it up, it would probably been around then. <laughs> so no job. I was twenty-one, um, and it was like, do I, I have to go again? So I got a, I got I started a coaching school up in uh, McGull. So sort of that was my income. So that was to do still involving football, obviously. And then um, I went to Northwich, which was a great move for us because what what happened was I sort of found my level that I needed to be at then, mm. and I played. Yeah, that was the key. So from the age of twenty one to twenty four, when I when I got back in the league with Crew, I played for them three years nonstop. Um, I developed physically. Did you get a few bufferings from experienced centre halves? Yeah, unreal. Like. Um, some some of the players that I come across in non-league, like up and down the leagues, you know, down south, some of the, some of the teams down there, and um, some of the games that you'd play, some of the the fights and the battles that you'd have, it was um, it was it was night and day compared to what I'd come from at Everton. Yeah, yeah. But I not half enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, I was scoring goals as well, so that that was part of it. And people were starting to take notice of me in the league, and mm-hmm. I was, the offers were starting to come in to Northwich for us. So. You know, it was a really good time in, in my career. I look back, like from 21 to 24, it was like a real important time for my development because I just got to play. I think what I like about your story, we've spoken to a lot of people on Bread the Blue and, and, and players do drift into non-league football, but not many drift into non-league football and then come back again to the football league. So that uh, says a lot for your, not just your ability, but your, your, your resilience and your strength of mind. I like I say, again, you don't think about it until you look back. Um, and. and and there was definitely moments where that got tested. Mm. Two free transfers when you're 21, that's going to make you resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got to 24 and I was doing really well, um, you know, thankfully an opportunity came for us to, to get back into league football. Hull City and Bristol Rovers and Rochdale, which, which spell did you enjoy the most? I loved it at Crew when I first went there because they were playing championship football mm. um, and I had, I had a good little spell there, Crew, playing under some and a good manager and Dario in terms of, you know, developing young players. Um, I was there. I was there around when Dean Ashton came through. So mm. I was sort of a um, teammate of Dean Ashton. Played up front with him, and you know, he, he was a special player to, to see his development up close, and just playing in the big grounds as well. So you know, suddenly my family being able to come and see us yeah. play at like Man yeah. City, Crystal Palace. Mm. We had a great cup run where we played Everton, of yeah. course. And the yeah. um, I was injured for that unfortunately, but. Um, just going and playing at the big grounds against uh, like some big name players, it was that was a really good time. 
And then my time at Bristol Rovers, I really enjoyed that. Uh, that was my first time moving away from the northwest to a club. So my wife and myself moved away and, and lived away for two years. And that was a really good time for both of us uh, mm. to move away and, and be away from our families and, and be a bit more independent. And, and that was a, that was a successful time at Bristol Rovers, which was a really big club, really, yeah. really big fan base and, and living in the city, you know, you lived and breathed it. So that was a good time. Just pushing ahead then to your coaching career, you've obviously played for a lot of clubs, so automatically you've played for a lot of managers. Mm. Does that help a young coach? Do you think your coaching career has benefited from the fact that you played for so many different managers, other than had you played for one manager and stayed at one club for all your career? Yeah, I think so. I think if, if you see a lot of um, managers work and you, you see a lot of things that you, you'd replicate yourself, and you also see a lot of um, negative things that you, mm. you wouldn't you wouldn't see. That. I remember, you know, a lot of things go on in changing rooms and on training pitches up, up and down. And there was a lot of the time where I thought to myself, I would never say that of a player because um, you you just lose them. There was no way you could you could build a bridge between you and a player with some of the things that I seen seen done and, and said to players. So that was a part of it as well. Um, and also. I think being in and out of teams as well. So mm. when you're a striker, you you have good patches, don't you? And then mm. you you don't score and you come out the team. And um, you, you, I spend time on the bench, so you, you sort of get it, take a step back. And you, I've seen a lot from there. Um, and then obviously having having again that resilience and that fight, having to get back in a team and sometimes having to change what you're doing. Um, I think that stood me in good stead for me coaching as well. When did you come back to Everton as a coach? I came back part-time um, in 2007 when right. I was playing at Southport. So I came back then. Um, my first job was um, the under-14 coach and a certain Ross Barkley was in the under-14s So and John Lundstrom. So I had mm. a decent, Tyus Browning. So I, got, I had a decent um, team for my first time as an under-14 coach. So Did you know them three were going to make it? Ross, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, Ross had all the attributes um, in all in all four corners. Um, Tyus, Tyus was always a fantastic one v one defender. No one could beat him in one v ones, and didn't matter whether they were two years older than him or his age. Whenever we went away to tournaments, um, you know, people would be raving on who's the lad at the back. No one could get past him. Um, and then John Lundstrom was just. Just love football, John. You know, great lad from a lovely family. Yeah. This is a good story, isn't it? Yeah, great. Made up for him. And you know, um, his mum used to give Ross a lift to training. Right. So Ross has probably got a bit to be thankful for uh, for John's family because they used to they used to bring Ross in all the time and used to give him a lift as well as uh, lots of other people. But um, that was really fun memories working with them. And you know, I've been lucky enough to to see them see them mm. around and, and keep. When you're coaching a player like Ross Barkley and you, and you know he's going to make it, what what's the main remit? You just have to try and encourage him to keep doing what he's doing, or do you, do you to try and assess what he isn't so good at and work on them? What what I found with Ross is you had to challenge him. So be, right. if he was playing in the 14s on a Sunday, he'd run a mock, and but he needed that because sometimes you, these young players coming through, if if you. Um, accelerate them too quickly to the normal age group. They then stop having the success, and then they lose the confidence that's driving them on. So, we, I think we got it spot on with Ross. He'd play a 14s on a Sunday, then he'd play a midweek for the 15s, and then he'd sometimes play a 16s on a Saturday. Mm. So we, it was sort of his pathway. But he, he always needed to be stretched, Aaron, and challenged, and whether mm. that be in training. So we, I'd always put him against 
you know, tires. So put them up against the best players, one v one duels, and always always stretch him. I'd always have him playing on his left foot. So whenever we're doing practices, I'd always ban him from using his right foot. He'd have to use his left foot. Um, so you know that that was the main thing with the high flying players. You, you have to um, you have to challenge them. I think. Was he the best player you've coached thus far? Um, he's probably the one who's gone the furthest. Yeah. Um, Kieran Dahl would have been up there in terms of mm. sheer talent and mm. um, ability on the ball. Liam Walsh would have been very close in terms yeah. of a midfield player. Um, you know, both going to have really fantastic careers. Well, three of them, including Ross, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just, you know, sheer ability with the football, like them three would stand out from, from Everton. How frustrating is it for a coach when you're working with a player who's got all the talent, all the ability in the world, but not the attitude? And you think to yourself, you can make it. You can make yourself a multi-millionaire. You can be a Premier League footballer, but you've got to change your ways. That must be the most frustrating thing. I think it is. I think at that time, and at this time as well, we don't get many of them in the building at Everton. No. I no. think because of the culture that is created here, um, and just local players in, in general, they've, they've got that hunger. They've got that fight. Um, you know, clubs up and down the country used to always say to us how lucky we are. You know, used to, used to be envious of the lads that we're working with because they're like, wow, they'd run through brick walls for you. You know, you'd go to tournaments all over the world and we'd come back with the trophies, the tournaments, mm. you know, whether they were Brazilian teams, Italian, Spanish, Barcelona's, Real Madrid's, we, we'd come back winners a lot of the time because they just had that fight in them as well as um, blooming good footballers. Mm. They had that fight and dedication. So. I haven't come. I haven't come across a lot of players like that um, in my time at, at Everton um, as a coach. I played with a lot of players like that. Mm. Players who had all the ability in the world and, and didn't get to the levels that they should have. Um, and it is really frustrating. Just finally, Paul, yours is a, a terrific football story. Where you progressed as a footballer and where you are now as a coach was the platform for all that your upbringing at Everton. Do you think? It, it's a huge part of it, Darren. Yeah. Um, th- I think it has a. I think when I'm thinking about um, my job today, when I'm when I'm working with these these young young lads every day, um, we want them all to go and play for the first team, but we know that's not the reality. We want them all to have careers in the game, and we know that's not a reality. But we want them to to leave um, when they walk out the gates of Finch Farm. You know whether it's 17, 18, 19, 20. Um, we want them to be like well-rounded young men. You know who who are going to do well in whatever um, career they take in their in their lives or whatever path they go down in their lives, whether that be a different job or further education. Um, I think that's really important, and, and that's always been here, um, whether that be at Belfield um, or it's transferred up to Finch Farm. I think it's um, a really good culture that we create, a really good environment, um, and of course we we want to do better. You know, with the, the bars getting raised all the time, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's well known how tough it is now to get these boys into the Premier League. Um, so we've got to do better. We've got to work harder as, as, as a coaching staff, as the environments we're creating. But I think in terms of, you know, um, producing, you know, fine young men that come out the academy, I think I think we've done a tremendous job over the years, and we'll continue to do so. Hopefully. Absolutely. We're sitting in an office here at Finch Farm. I know you're itching to get out on the grass, but thanks very much for your time, Paul. No, pleasure, Darren. I enjoyed it.